0: Welcome back everyone, another quick piece on the developing situation with the Evergrande bankruptcy, where we will discuss the almost 400 lawsuits that have been launched to date. So, over the last few months, according to records from the Guangzhou Intermediary People's Court, $13 billion worth of lawsuits have been opened against Evergrande over non-payment of debts. Now, Evergrande was declared to be in restricted default on December the 9th by Fitch ratings, but all of these 367 onshore lawsuits being handled by the Chinese courts were submitted before that date. In fact, these lawsuits began piling up towards the end of August right after the Chinese Central Bank first publicly criticized Evergrande and its management over its debt crisis. The earliest lawsuits back in August came from construction companies and home buyers who saw the writing on the wall and were nervous about being paid. After that, financial lenders began to dominate. Now, we are of course at a very early stage in any restructuring – we are talking here about $13 billion of lawsuits for a company that has liabilities of over $300 billion. Like I said, all of these lawsuits were launched before the official default on December the 9th. In addition, we must keep in mind that Chinese bankruptcy law gives preference to secured creditors like banks over unsecured secured lenders like bondholders, so the banks don't really need to jockey for position early on. On top of that, the banks in China are majority owned by the Chinese government, and might have less to worry about than private creditors, they will be involved in the political negotiations around repayment. Now There is a lot of information that we can extract from these lawsuits which show us how Evergrande financed itself and how widespread their borrowing has been in China. There are some really eye-opening revelations around how contagion could develop from this default. Evergrande has of course issued offshore bonds totaling $19 billion, and we have discussed that debt quite a bit on this channel, and that debt has been the main focus of the international press. But once again $19 billion is a small portion of the overall debt, and it is trading at around 20 cents on the dollar right now, meaning that offshore debt could possibly be settled for around $4 billion. I have also pointed out in my prior pieces that these offshore bonds have no real legal claim on onshore assets in China. They are high yield bonds that are not structured the way we typically think of debt. These international creditors will of course be competing against domestic creditors to get paid by Evergrande. Now, Some of the most interesting information that can be gleaned from these court records is about the shadow lenders who lent money to Evergrande. There are 19 of these lawsuits in the mix and it would appear that as the three red lines policy cut Evergrande off from borrowing a year and a half ago, the company turned to private loans from cash rich local businesses last April. These are businesses like hotels, metal traders and pharmaceutical companies who lent to Evergrande with annualized interest rates as high as 73 percent. We have to worry about how much of this type of debt exists, as defaults on these mostly undisclosed loans will of course spread the pain much wider than might have initially been expected. This is one of the ways we might start to see contagion within the Chinese economy. The Chinese property market, as we have discussed in earlier pieces, has mostly seized up. Buyers are obviously very nervous, particularly as in China buyers usually pay for a home in advance of it being built and are exposed to the credit risk of the property developer. Evergrande has reported sales over the last quarter, the quarter ending on November 30th, and these sales come to $2.4 billion, which is down 93% from the same period last year. The Chinese government are trying to keep the real estate market afloat. While government officials have warned state banks not to help over leverage developers like Evergrande, they are pushing them to lend to less indebted property groups to prevent a complete collapse. The property development sector is obviously very important to China, where it makes up around a third of the country's total economic output. I mentioned in my last piece that based on prior Chinese restructurings, the Guangdong government is likely to take over Evergrande and find state-owned developers to complete the existing projects. After that, original shareholders including Hui Ka Evergrande's founder, will most likely be wiped out. There are around 1.6 million uncompleted apartments that buyers have paid for and the Chinese government is unlikely to prioritize financial lenders ahead of these people. The court records show that state-owned construction groups are suing Evergrande for around $2.5 billion. This of course complicates any push to ensure that these projects are completed. Most of these projects have been paid for in advance by homeowners who often borrow as much as 25 years of household income to pay for a home. The state-owned construction companies are supposed to complete construction and deliver the buildings, but they don't have access to the capital required to pay for materials or labor. One construction company is quoted in the press as saying we can't carry on with construction when our workers haven't been paid for months. There are many other problems too. In China there is no property tax, and local governments fund themselves through selling land leases to property developers. Now that the big private property development companies are on the rocks, state-owned property developers have been stepping in and bought three-quarters of the residential land sold at auctions in 22 big cities by value according to public records. They previously purchased only around 45% of land plots sold at auctions. So this is a big increase in their purchasing activity. This spending could be seen as a means of funding local governments now that their typical source of revenue has disappeared. When you combine the idea that state-owned developers are trying to complete these buildings without funding and that they are purchasing land in order to support local governments, you can see that there are cash flow issues and how the stresses are growing in the Chinese property sector. In my last piece on Evergrande, I suggested that the best way of predicting outcomes in this situation is to look at the example of HNA Group, the biggest bankruptcy that China has seen since first introducing a bankruptcy law back in 2007. In China, the courts and local authorities have a lot of leeway in deciding which creditors get paid and when. Historically, China's Supreme Court has ruled that building subcontractors take priority so that migrant workers are guaranteed payment for their labor. As I mentioned in the last piece, less than 100 listed companies have ever gone through bankruptcy proceedings in China, so we don't really have a lot of data on how this might go. Now, Chinese bankruptcy law does give preference to secured creditors like banks over unsecured lenders like bondholders, and in the mix of lawsuits over 40 are from banks. But this is obviously just the tip of the iceberg. These lawsuits all come from before Evergrande's official default, and analysts are saying that Chinese banks are reluctant to announce their exposure to Evergrande by taking court action and will be working in the background dealing with politicians to work out their claims. We're likely to see a prolonged battle as Evergrande is wound up. Chinese authorities have been clear that social stability is of the greatest importance, and so home buyers, suppliers, and contractors who are still awaiting payment from Evergrande are likely to be prioritized. Have a great day and see you soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.